0: What an amazing truth. The God who is so good to us loves us with an unconditional, never stopping, never ceasing, always pursuing love. Today we stand confidently in that love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that even as we move to a time of looking into your word, Lord, that we would not forget the truths of your word that we have sung, that your blood has washed us clean, that you are a good God, and that you love us. Lord, we pray that even as we receive sometimes hard truth and difficult circumstances, Lord, that you would remind us that it comes from a heart of love and goodness. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, hopefully you have those around you, and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We've got two more weeks in 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 today. 1 Peter chapter 4. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Let me just give you a couple of quick updates. One is one that we gave you last week and that we're continuing to remind you of is that we, um, as part of our reopening plan, phase 1, It's two weeks from today, or we're really excited about that, two weeks from this weekend. And so we will actually have family worship on the first Saturday night of June, June 6th at 5 o'clock. And that is for families to bring your kids, your preschoolers, your babies. We we understand that's going to be high energetic. It's going to be um, a time when we will worship together as families. And we understand there may be chaos at times in that. And we are perfectly comfortable with that. We want to give our families a place that they feel comfortable and safe to come and worship together. And then our normal um, blended worship service at 1030 here on Sunday morning. um, Two weeks from now, we will open our doors with social distancing guidelines. You can find out all of the information about that if you go to our website, fbcgillisville.com. And down right when you get on the opening page, there's a reopening plan. You can click there, and it'll take you to a page with... All that information. So make sure you check that out. That's two weeks from this weekend. I also want to tell you and give you uh, a new announcement, something that we're really excited about. Um, Normally during this time of year, we take up a second giving day, extravagant giving day. Um, You know, twice a year we do days of extravagant giving. In December we do it for missions, for for, uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, for our partnerships with Club 180, For partnerships with people here in town locally, uh, Tennessee Baptist Children's Home, um, different ministries, Journey Point in Denver. We do that in December. In May, over the last several years, we've taken a day of extravagant giving that goes towards our youth camps, student camps, children's camps, and our mission trips for the summer. Well, we can tell you officially all of those trips have been canceled. We received word last week that Denver has been canceled officially, and so all trips for the summer have been canceled. And so we began to ask the question, what would a day of extravagant giving look like now? We still feel like it's important to do. So here's what we are proposing, what we're going to do. Starting next week for two weeks. So next week, online, um, through mail, um, drop-off, you can give towards our day of extravagant giving And then the next week, the first weekend in June, we'll actually allow you to do that here if you're able to come and be a part of it with us. And then still online and mail in and drop off. And this is what that offering is going to go towards. Three main focuses. First of all, we are going to replenish some of our own benevolence funds. Here at the church, our benevolence ministry does a great job of helping those that are truly in need. Um, We know that through this crisis, especially coming out of this, hopefully in the near future, there may be more and more people that need some help, and we want to be able to provide that. And so that's one area that we're going to give towards. Another area is the North American Mission Board. Um, Their huge offering, just like Lottie Moon is in Christmas, is Annie Armstrong. And Annie Armstrong hit this year right in the middle of the pandemic, and they did not get nearly what they normally do to do the ministry work that is required of them to spread the gospel around North America. And so a second portion of that offering will go directly to the North American Mission Board. And the third area, and I'm really excited about this, is that we're going to use part of what comes in on that Day of Extravagant Giving offering to bless local small businesses. The Goodnessville Ministerial Alliance, you may have even seen some news about one church in particular, and the Goodnessville Ministerial Alliance has been doing this. They have our alliance that we are a part of as a church, are in the process and have set up a way that we can give anonymously to small businesses in Goodlettsville in this area that are struggling and in need because of the pandemic. Can't think of a better way to bless the people in our community than that. And so we would go through a group that would determine it. We wouldn't determine what small businesses those are, but we would go through a group that would determine that, and part of our extravagant giving would go there. So make sure that you make a note of that starting next week. We'll put the Day of Extravagant Giving on the drop-down menus on the online giving. You can write it when you send it in on your offering. We're going to begin to take up our Day of Extravagant Giving offering for two weeks and to go to those three places, our Benevolence Fund that helps people that are in need in our community and surrounding area, also to the North American Mission Board for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American Missions, and for local small businesses, through a group that will do that for us. And so hopefully you'll pray about and give sacrificially towards that. 1 Peter chapter 4. Many times in our lives we receive predictable messages. Messages that we could tell you were coming before we even heard them. For instance, if you're into politics and you turn on Sean Hannity at night, you're probably going to hear a pro-Trump message. If you're on the other way and you go watch Rachel Maddow, you're probably going to hear an anti-Trump message. It's predictable. That's what you expect. I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. When I watch St. Louis Cardinals baseball, um, one of my birthday gifts over the last several years has been money to purchase where I could watch their home games in my home because I'm out of market, I don't get them. And so I go and watch their home games, and I watch it on the Cardinals broadcast, and I know it's going to be a pro Cardinals broadcast. Now, there are two teams that I can't do that for because I'm considered in their viewing area, and I have to watch the Cincinnati Red and Atlanta Brave broadcast. And here's what I hate about watching those is that I know they're going to be pro-reds and pro-braves. It's a predictable message. Today, the two points that I have for you may be the most predictable sermon points you could ever imagine. These two points are the basic sermon points for every sermon. They are basically the fundamental points for every sermon. And yet they're exactly what Peter is going to tell the people in 1 Peter chapter 4 about how they live through difficulty. How they live through a time in their lives when it was unknown and persecution was there and difficulty was around them. How do they live in the midst of that? 1 Peter chapter 4. And here's the thing. He's going to start... This passage, like he starts other passages with a therefore. tell you when I preach to you, when you're in here with me and on this online over the last few weeks, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to ask what is it there for? What came before it? And they're in some sense that Peter's talking about because of what we've learned in the entire book, because of the living hope we have in Christ, because of the firm foundation we have in Him, because of the faithfulness of our God, because He is someone we can build our lives upon, because of the inheritance we have in Christ and the coming of the Lord. But you also think about what immediately precedes this, and this is some verses that we aren't going to cover in this sermon series, but they're important. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, just a few verses earlier, he says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. And so what he's saying to them is, therefore, because Christ has paid for your sins, because our sin debt has been paid, because you don't have to sin anymore, because you... You you have had a sin debt paid that you couldn't pay if you wanted to, that you didn't pay, that there's no way you could possibly pay. Claim the fact that it's done for you because of what's Christ done for you. Therefore, when difficulties come your way, Christ's suffering has led us into the resurrection life. Therefore, and then he gives the first point. And this is it. It's predictable. It's the foundation of almost every sermon, at least one part of it. And it's simply this. Don't sin. Based on everything we know about Christ, based on everything we know about what he did for us, based on the fact that he died on the cross for our sins, and based on the fact that he has ushered in the resurrection life. Therefore, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same understanding because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles chose to do, carrying on unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give you an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they may be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. So he says, based on what we know about Christ, based on who he is, based on what he's done for us, based on the death, literally there he says, since Christ suffered in the flesh, because of that, don't sin. Now specifically the words he uses are, don't live remaining time of your life for human desires, but for God's will. Now here's what I know. When things like the pandemic hit, we were reminded again of the fragility and the frailty of life. Yes, this disease has struck a certain percentage or certain um, area demographic of our population more than others. Our older generations have been struck more than others. But the reality is we have lived as if we are all in danger because no one knows who is of this disease impacting them. I don't know how many days I have remaining on this earth. You don't either. You may think you do. You may have an idea. Sometimes doctors give diagnosis and they include time frames, but nobody knows. It could be a week. It could be a year. It could be a decade. It could be 50 years, 70 years, 80 years. Here's what I know. I don't have 80 years left. I may not have 50 years left. I'll be fortunate to have double what I have left. And as I think about how I want to live the remaining portion of my life, Peter says to these believers, the, what you have left, whatever that is, the last two years, the last two months, the last 20 years, the last four decades, the last eight decades, whatever you have left, Don't live it for human desires. Live it for God's will. Just a reminder, he's speaking to people who are probably in the midst of persecution. He will actually remind them at the end of chapter 4, at the end of this chapter, that suffering is a problem, is is not a problem, it's a process of following Christ. Suffering will be a part. It's part of, life for all people, we live in a sin-stained, sin-marred, fallen world, and we all will suffer in some way in our lives. What he tells them is, basically, they shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes. In fact, he tells them to embrace suffering. He's like James in this point. James, who said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. He says you need to embrace the suffering there because in some way, and I don't know how this exactly works out, but scripture says it again and again, different writers in the New Testament say it, that when we suffer, we somehow share in the sufferings of Christ, that we are bonded to Christ in some way in those moments, that it is a privilege to suffer for Christ specifically, not for our own bad choices, not for our own sins, but when we suffer for Christ, it is a privilege and it is sanctifying in our lives and in some way, it changes us more into the image of Christ as we rightly respond to what's coming. But also, in the midst of that, we have to remember that God is faithful. You know, it's easy to sing, God is so good and oh how He loves me in the midst of what is typically a pretty good time without much really going on. How does your heart sing that, scream that in the midst of real difficulty? Peter here says, You're in the midst of persecution. He's talking to people that are being persecuted at this moment, and he says to them basically this listen, you've got a choice. Persecution's going to come, difficulty's going to come, suffering's going to come. Bad days are going to come. Bad months, bad years are going to come. Seasons of your life are going to be difficult. And in that moment, you have a choice. You can live for the desires of the flesh. or You can live for God's will. You can live on the path of sin or on the path of obedience. I just want to clarify real quickly here. He's not saying, by the way, that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you will never sin again or should never sin again. The important thing he's making here is that it's a lifestyle. What does your life look like? What is the trajectory of your life look It's similar to what John says in 1 John, that you can't keep on sinning. And by that he means without conscience, without remorse, you're just sinning, it's just happening. The same sin again and again and again. The same actions again and again and again. Without any repercussions in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. You are callous to it. That that can't be true of someone who is following Jesus Christ. Because when that happens, you show that you have... Have not claimed the victory over sin that Christ has given you. And Peter says that we can live for the ways of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, or we can live for the will of God. When difficulties come, when moments come in our lives, we will be tempted just as those in Peter's day were tempted to give up our witness, to maybe stop declaring Christ so profoundly. These people, it tells us, were being made fun of, were being slandered because they had chosen Christ. In fact, we see a little bit later, he lists all those things that the Gentiles do, and then he says, they mock you now, they slander you because you do not do them anymore. Uh, Christians in that day were considered, um, I I couldn't think of a better word, this is my my grandmother's words, All right, so I apologize if this is not your grandmother's word, but my grandmother's words, Christians were old fuddy-duddies. They just didn't, they, they looked at him and said, you don't have any fun. Pull the life out of everything. Because they didn't do all the raucous and sinful things that the Gentiles were doing. And he says, that's your choice. Obedience or the way of the Lord. Now he's going to make the point that the way of the Lord is better. It's not just for people that don't want to have any fun. There's extreme joy and fun in the midst of that. But he says, in the midst of being made fun of, you have the choice to abandon your witness. Just a few verses before this, he tells them, that we have to be ready at all times to give a defense for our faith. And that's not necessarily a legal defense. It's not necessarily being able to give point by point an apologetic view. One of the greatest apologists of our generation passed away this past week, Ravi Zacharias. Man, I wish I had the ability to just go back and forth with atheists and those from different religions with the way Ravi Zacharias could defend the faith so well. He says, I'm not talking about you being able to give a dissertation or an essay based on what the truth of the Christian faith is. What he means by that is that we need to be able to give a defense of our faith. We need to live a life in such a way. Just before that he says, live a life that brings attention to your Father, that shows that you are different. And when they ask, you need to be able to say, because it is Jesus that has changed me. Your witness is that you live your life for the Lord, and you use your words for Him as well. Temptation is to give that up. And he says, don't. Don't give up. Don't sin. There's a temptation in the midst of difficulty and suffering just to embrace comfort. To not give that money to the church because you want to buy something for you for your comfort or to just kind of hunker down in your home or not interact with people as much anymore. And they to make fun of you, just kind of say, I'm good, I'm going to step back. And, and Peter says you have to embrace the culture. You have to, not, not, not the ways of the culture, but the people of the culture. You have to interact with it. You can't withdraw Sometimes the temptation is to turn inward. As a church, it's that way. We get attacked on the outside. We feel like the, the, the culture is not as receptive to Christianity. We just turn inwardly. and We bring comfort here. We forget our mission outside these walls. And there's a temptation for believers to medicate with alcohol or food or pornography or an affair. To medicate in the midst of difficulty. Peter says, whatever temptations, those ways of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, whatever those may be, he says, don't. And he tells them how to do it. How do we fight all those temptations? He says to arm yourself with the mind of Christ. It gives us some idea. Remember who Christ is. Remember how Christ faced it. Remember what Christ was about. They may have known Philippians chapter 2 at this time. It may have been a common hymn sung in the church that he who was considered equal with God or was equal to God could not consider that something to be held on to, but instead gave it up. That's why the first century apostles were such a thorn in the side of the Roman officials and the Jewish officials because it didn't matter what you said to them, what you threatened them with, They were willing to do it because of what Christ had done. Will beat you. And they would look at you and say, I'm convinced that the suffering of this world is not even worthy of being compared to the glory that shall be revealed in the next. Well, we'll kill you. Well, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll throw you in jail. That's fine. I can talk to the jailers. I can witness to them. I can write some letters to some people to encourage them. Every step of the way, they saw suffering as an opportunity to serve and go down the road of the will of God. Arm yourselves, he says, with the mindset of Christ and live in that freedom. Don't sin. We can... Live a life that sin has been defeated and we live for the will of God. He says, by the way, that that's the best way to live in the end. He tells them in verse 5, I don't know if he noticed this, but that those who are living in that way, I love this, by the way, when he says to them, hey, you spent enough time living that crazy life. That's up in verse 3, by the way. He says, there's been enough time spending doing whatever the Gentiles chose to do. These people, Peter's writing to, live their lives in that debauchery. Live their lives in that unrestrained behavior. In the carousing. In the lawless idolatry. And he says, you've had enough of that. Enough. Stop it. It's time to grow up. Your life's been changed. Move forward. I don't know. Maybe you're watching today. Maybe you're somebody that has lived your life trying to live for the desires of your flesh, for what you can get out of it, what you, even protection of your family or, or your physical assets, your job, your career. And you realize you're chasing that dream and that at the end it's a nightmare, not a dream. Maybe today is the day the Lord is saying, enough of that. Come to me, accept my forgiveness and be saved. He says to them that eventually one day we will all give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. He says don't forget that one day judgment's coming and he'll separate the sheep from the goats. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior have been cleansed by him, by the blood of Jesus and those who have not. And those that have been cleansed will spend eternity with Christ. Those that haven't, Spend eternity separated from him. I saw some statistics this week on the number of people who have ever lived and have ever died. We hear a lot about deaths in the news today, and it is it's horrific to think about the number of people that have died from this virus. But the reminder is that more than that die every day in this world. Everyone who dies comes to that place where they immediately have a reckoning for their lives. Those that have accepted Christ to go to be with Him and those who have chosen not to do that spend eternity separated from Him in hell. So He looks at him and He says, listen, you're on the winning side. You're on the right side. So don't give in to wanting to live like those who aren't. and Then he transitions in verse 7 to the other point, which is just as predictable in a Christian sermon. At the beginning of verse 7, he says, the end of all things is near. And What he means by that literally is this, that the end is near, that Christ is coming again. And that Christ coming again means that we have to be prepared at all times for his coming. Now, this is what is interesting, because in verse 7 he says the end of all things is near. Some translations say the end of all things is soon. And the question has come, okay, this was written almost 2,000 years ago. How soon is soon? Sometimes people even use this to see, say, see, Peter thought Jesus come back in his lifetime. He didn't, so it must not be true. Peter is just saying that we don't know when Christ is coming back, But he's coming back, and when he comes back, we better be ready. I read a story this week about a pastor, uh, J.D. Greer. I've quoted him on several occasions. But J.D. Greer talks about the fact that he and his children, he has, I think, four children, and his wife will be getting ready to go somewhere. And he says that he'll pull, um, he'll get the car, and he'll load all the kids in the car. And his wife will say, I'm just going to touch up a couple of things, I'll be there in just a minute. And he says they get in the car and his oldest son will say to him, Dad, you know it's going to be more than a minute. We could run and get some drinks at Dunkin' Donuts and be back before Mom is out here. J.D. Greer says the Dunkin' Donuts is literally a minute and a half from our house. We could be there, go through the drive-thru, be back in that driveway. And he said, I can almost guarantee you we could make three Dunkin' Donuts runs and be back before she walks out the door. He said, but if I pull out of that driveway and I take the family to Dunkin' Donuts and she walks out of the door and I have left, he said, it is not worth a thousand trips to Dunkin' Donuts. Here's the thing. God says Jesus is coming soon. All I know is I don't want to be on a Dunkin' Donuts run when he gets here. I want to be waiting prepared. So here's the second predictable point. The first is don't sin. Here's the second predictable point. Almost every sermon is based on these two, don't sin, and the second one is this is serve God. They starts by saying the end is near. Eternity is coming. Christ died for you. The resurrection happened. And he's coming again. Remember last week we talked about that, that he has set those two things against each other. That the New Testament writers write about the resurrection of Christ and the second coming of Christ. He says we need to remember that's happening. So live in the meantime like this is true and this is true. Like my past has been taken care of because of that and my future is secure because of that. I can live here and now with confidence. And he gives them some ideas of what they need to do. First of all he says be ready. Verse 7, it says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Just be alert, watchful, waiting, living practically, focused on what's in the future. It doesn't mean go crazy and go sell everything and go sit out there and just wait on the Lord to return. Live your life. Do what you're supposed to do. Fulfill your responsibilities. But do it with a focus and attention on the fact that Christ is coming again. And then he adds up in it, and be prayerful. Be prayerful about Christ coming again. Be prayerful about what God wants you to do in the meantime. Be prayerful about what it means to follow Christ in these days. Be prayerful for your neighbors that are not on the right side right now and that need to come to faith in Christ before Christ comes again. Be prayerful for our churches that are regathering as we begin to think through that and making decisions about that. Be prayerful of our ministry going forward. Be prayerful, watchful. He then tells them, above all else, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. There are a couple of things here. First of all, he says constantly love. It means something that happened over and over and over and over again on a consistent basis for a long time. It also has this idea of being stretched or extended as far as it can be to the very edges of what is capable. Both deep and wide. Scripture teaches us again and again that the way we are stretched in love is we exercise love, that we love one another, we take care of one another, we do for others, we love them. And then he gives us a main way that we can love one another, and that is to forgive. He says love covers over a multitude of sins, and some people think have interpreted that to mean when we forgive, when we love, it covers over our sins. Here's what I think Peter is saying there. There may be an element of that in there, but I think more than that he's saying is when you love your Brothers and sisters in Christ, remember love includes forgiveness. Love includes a benefit of the doubt. Love includes being stretched. Now think about the story, the parable that Jesus told of the debtor who had a small, had a small, small debt owed to him. And he went to a place where he owed a great debt and it was forgiven and then he went and he demanded the debt from the smaller one that was owed to him. The master came and took the original and says, what are you doing? Your debt was so much forgiven, you even forgive this little debt. As we live with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we forgive because Christ has forgiven us. He then tells them to show hospitality, to engage with one another, to host one another, and I love this. He says, without complaining. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. A lot of people would be fine if they could be hospitable and complain about it. If they could serve and complain about it. But he says, You can't complain. Don't complain. You're doing it out of your love for Christ, your love for one another. Do it that way. He says, To use your gift. As you've received your gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. He says, We've all been put together. This is his. Body of Christ illustration. We have all been glued together as bodies of Christ. as a local body of believers with gifts and talents. And because of that, we need to serve wherever you have called us to serve. I think about this a lot over the last few weeks. When... People with specific skill sets have helped us move to a place where we're able to interact with you online and moving to a place where in a couple of weeks, you saw today the band back up here as audio team has been working hard to get everything to where the live stream and the in-house were all kind of together and we are moving in a place where we can get that done effectively and we have used talents of people from around the church and in the church. or people behind cameras every day here that are there, Up, up in the booth, up behind computers that are engaging online. We are using gifts and talents that many of us were not using eight weeks ago, ten weeks ago. But in this moment, the gifts and talents God has given us is what we need to use to serve the church. We're going to need some of you that have gifts and talents in those kind of areas to serve. We may be asking some of you to serve in different ways, to stretch in different ways. Now, we don't want you to do anything outside of what God has gifted you to do, but that doesn't mean it won't be outside your comfort zone. So serve one another. Use your gift. And then the last one is the reason for all of it. And then we're done. He says, if anyone speaks, let it be one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He says, because remember, this is important, the reason we don't sin and the reason we serve God is because when Christ bought you, He paid for you with a price. We talked about it a few weeks ago an immeasurable price. And when he did that, when he did that, you became his. And you became an ambassador for his name. You became someone that represents him. So when you speak, you speak for Christ. When you live, you live for Christ. When you serve, you serve for Christ as his ambassador. Now the ultimate goal in not sinning and serving God is glorifying our Father through Jesus Christ because He deserves it all. So where are you on that choice of path? Are you a believer who has held on to some of those before ways, those before Christ ways? Or you've discovered some things that you know are not in Keeping with God's calling on your life, and you've been indulging in that area. Maybe during this quarantine, there are things of your life, parts of your life that you have dipped back into or that you've used as comfort in these days that are not what God would desire. If you're a follower of Christ, what does it look like to you to follow God's will completely and serve that, to serve the church, to love constantly, to be watchful and prayerful and ready? Maybe you're someone that's never accepted Christ as your Savior. You're living in that before Christ. And if you were to die right now, if you were to die this afternoon and stand before the Lord at that judgment, that the judgment, that that judgment would separate you from Christ forever. And today is the day that you're ready to make a commitment to follow. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. I'd love for you to respond. You can respond in a variety of ways. You can go to fbcgoodlessville.com connect. It's on the screen. should be there. gives you a way to just fill out a form real quickly. Tell us what you'd like to talk about. We'll be in touch with you. We'd love for you to do that. If you're watching on our live stream, on our website, by the way, you can do that over in the side that says connect with us or connect online connection. Just click there and fill it out there as well. You can leave a comment for us on the on the Facebook feed. You can send us a message on Facebook. You can leave a comment on YouTube. You can email me at pastor at com. We'd love to hear from you. If the Lord is moving in your life, what the Lord is doing. And especially today if you're somebody that is ready to move from death into life to be saved by Jesus. Or you have questions about that. We'd love to hear from you. Let's pray to God. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the chance we have to worship You. We're thankful for the fact that You have forgiven our sins, that You have declared us righteous because of the death and resurrection of Your Son. Lord, we realize that every day when we encounter difficulty, we have the option to walk on the path of sin, on the path of desire in the human flesh, or on the path of Your will. And so, Lord, I pray that as believers, we would be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to do whatever is required to walk on that path of Your will. Lord, I pray if there are any out there today that are watching, either live or watching later, that have never accepted You as their Savior, Lord, that today would be the day. I pray that they would admit their need for You because of the sin in their lives, that they would believe that you are God's Son, Jesus. That you lived a perfect life. You died on the cross and you rose again from the grave. And Lord, that they would confess their need for you and ask you to save them. If that's you. I want to lead you in a prayer that you can pray right there in your home, on your porch, in your car, wherever you might be. And Jesus will hear. And if you mean this prayer in your heart, Jesus will say... So, if you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior right now, I'm going to ask you to pray this with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner, that I have sinned, that I have made mistakes, and I cannot fix them on my own. There's nothing I can do about it. And I realize without you, Jesus, I am separated for eternity from you. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sins, and rose again from the grave. And Lord, today I admit and believe in this place that You are the one that can save me from my sins. And so I confess with my mouth and with my heart that You alone are Lord. And I ask You, Jesus, to save me right now. Save me, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. If you're someone who's prayed that prayer, I want to know about it. Not just for me, although it'd be great to celebrate with you, but to be able to celebrate as God's kingdom celebrates. You can email me at pastor at leave a comment, let us know. Fill out the form at connect. If something else is happening in your life, God's moving, we want to know. Let us know as we continue to worship the Lord today.